Oh, hey, sunshine. Did y'all see the sunshine outside? Oh, this is great. It's going to be a beautiful day. It's going to be a beautiful day. Hey, take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to finish up this series that we began a few weeks ago. And uh, man, so glad y'all are here today uh, on this holiday weekend. So it's great to have you here with us. But Jesus has been teaching on relationships in this series. It's called Let's Go Deeper. And the disciples were asking Jesus, you know, which one of them is the greatest? And Jesus began to talk to them, not so much about, you know, your ambitions and your accumulations, but he began to talk to them about their relationships. And he teaches them this principle, that greatness, as God sees it, is always going to be reflected in your relationships. Uh, you might have heard about the man who was bitten by a rabid dog. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, you got rabies. He said, but I can cure you. I just want to let you know the shots are going to be very, very painful. And the man said, how painful? And the doctor said, very painful. But without the shots, you're going to die. And so the man asked him for a piece of paper and a pen, and he began writing down a list of names. And the doctor said, sir, sir, there's no need for a will. I, I want to reassure you again. I mean, it's going to be painful, but we can cure your rabies. And he said, oh, I'm not making a will. He said, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to go bite. That's what he was doing, you know. And so we could all make a list today of the people that we would love to take a chunk of flesh out of. We really would. And you think about it. I mean, in all seriousness, there are a lot of us here today who could make a list of all the people who've hurt us that we would like to hurt back. You know, you may be here today and you had a job that you spent years waiting to be promoted into and then it was given to the new guy or the new girl. Uh, the husband or wife that you loved and committed yourself to left you for another. Uh, the mother or father who told you they would always be there for you left, you know. Uh, the friend that came to you and said, hey, listen, if you could just loan me some money, I've got this great idea. And they took your money and they ran and ran off with it. A coach told you that, hey, I'm going to give you a starting position this season. And then they gave it to someone else. I mean, all these kinds of things can happen to us. And what we're going to look at today is one of the most vivid, most powerful uh, teachings, including a parable that Jesus ever told. And for 2,000 years now, billions of people have been challenged, inspired, and moved to action by this parable that Jesus shares with us today. And it's in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And our title today is The Freedom That's Found in Forgiveness. So Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 7, if you would, real quick, where Jesus says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. And he says, such things must come. And we know that we can't live in this world for very long without some things coming to our lives that are going to hurt us and are going to wound us. There are woes in this world. And if I were to ask here today, uh, who among us has been hurt recently? Uh, I bet almost every hand would go up in this room today. And you may have walked in these doors this morning just carrying this heavy burden of a serious wrong that has been done to you even recently. Perhaps it was done this week, perhaps this past year, or maybe it was years ago, even as a child, 
and it still kind of haunts you, this, or this burden still weighs you down. And if that's your situation today, and by the way, that's been me too at points in my life, then we all need to hear this today. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Luke, sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Luke 18 is different from Matthew 18, just so you all know. Okay. All right. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. He said, Therefore, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began to set a settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything, which would be impossible for him to do. Okay. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. And instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours and you begged because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And look at verse 34, ladies and gentlemen. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Mm. Look at verse 21. Peter, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins, up against, who sins against me? Is it up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, it's 70 times seven. Some of your versions might say 77, but it's probably more likely Jesus said 70 times seven. Now, the Old Testament law taught that if someone abused you or damaged you or wounded you, that they were, you, were, you, know, you were obligated to forgive them three times. It's kind of like three strikes and you're out of the relationship, okay? And Peter doubled what the law required, and then he added one to it. And I'm sure Peter was anticipating that Jesus was going to you know, kind of pat him on the back and praise him in public for being so spiritual you know, and so, so gracious. And I know some of the wives here are thinking to themselves, man, forgive someone seven times. Times, you know, that's nothing. I gave my, I forgave my husband seven times just on our honeymoon, you know? <laughs> all right. But I want to think a bit for a moment about the definition of forgiveness. All right. Number one, you know, when a missionary, when missionaries first went to Alaska and they wanted to translate the Bible into Eskimo, they discovered a problem. There was no word in their language for forgiveness. And they talked, they listened, and they discovered a word in Eskimo that means not being able to think about it anymore. And so they use that word throughout the Eskimo Bible to represent God's forgiveness. He forgets our sin, our debt. Isn't that awesome? 
You know, uh, Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That word forgive, by the way, is a compound of two words that are put together and it means an action that causes separation. Like if I were to take a ball and throw a ball, I've separated that ball from my body and it literally means to send away. And in the everyday speech of Jesus' day, it also was used to describe releasing a prisoner and sending the prisoner away from the prison. And so for, to forgive is to take something that someone has done to us, something that we're holding on to, we're clutching, and we send it away. We throw it away. Like Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Obviously, there's not an east pole and a west pole. There's no way to measure that. It's infinity. And one of the primary reasons that we worship God is because of this supernatural, unexplainable capacity that he has to forgive, to forgive. There's no way to explain it. There's no reason to expect it. It's truly a miracle. And so he is worthy of our worship because of this miracle of forgiveness. I saw this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It's so powerful. It's up on the screen for you. He said, sin is removed from us by a miracle of love. Our sins are gone. Jesus has borne them away. Far as the place of sunrise is removed from yonder west, where the sun, sink when, sun sinks when his day's journey is done, so far were our sins carried. Come, my soul, awaken thyself thoroughly and glorify the Lord for this richest of blessings. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And you kind of are going to see this, that that is the point of the parable, the forgiveness that we have received from Christ. It is so rich. It is so abundant. It should change the character of our lives. And it should create in us, number two, a desire to forgive, a desire to forgive. All right. Because you notice what happens. Look at verse 23 through 30. This king wanted to settle accounts. What has happened here? This is one of the most vivid, dramatic, and memorable parables that Jesus ever told. And if you had been in the audience, your eyes would have popped open because, number one, the amount of money that Jesus describes here is just staggering. It truly is. It's 10,000 talents in a lot of your Bible, a lot of your Bibles. These bags of gold coins, gold bullion, all right? And 10,000 talents was nearly impossible to comprehend. Uh, looking at the, what, what that money was worth in those times and what it would be worth today, there are only 100 people alive in the world today that could pay this amount of money, okay? Out of 7 billion people in the world today, only 100 people have that kind of money. It's like something like 6,000 days worth of work for uh, these gentlemen. Oh, I'm sorry, that's one talent. It's 6,000 days worth of work. 10,000 talents would be something like 200,000 years of manual labor. It's an enormous amount of money. And some people might say, well, Jesus is just exaggerating here to kind of to make a point. Or is he? You know, Romans 8.32 says, God didn't spare his own son, but handed him over to death for all of us. What an enormous amount. So what Jesus is doing here is he is kind of laying the groundwork 
for you and I as disciples, as students and followers of Jesus to begin to have some appreciation for the sacrifice that he made for us. You see, the servant, he's you and me, isn't he? He couldn't begin to pay the debt that he owed. He probably embezzled it, to be honest with you, to have accumulated that kind of debt. He's probably guilty of embezzlement. And imagine hearing those words, your wife and your children and everything that you owe, own is going to be sold. Your wife and your children are going to be slaves. Man, I cannot imagine. And so you understand why. The, the servant fell on his face before the master and said, please, please, I will pay it back. You can't. There's no way. There's no way you could ever pay that money back. But I'll do it. I'll do it. He begged for mercy. And ladies and gentlemen, he found it. He found it. He was released from the prison of his debt and his master, the king, cast away the debt that he owed. And all through our New Testament, we are taught the same principle over and over and again. And that is this, that forgiven people forgive people. It's more than your duty. It's your desire. It's your desire. Because Jesus says, give the grace that you've been given. And when you have an understanding of the tremendous tidal wave of grace that has come into your life to forgive you of the massive debt of your own sin, then you're more readily able and you have within you this desire to forgive others. For example, Ephesians 4, Paul said this, get it rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words and slander, all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you're a forgiven person, by the way, it's not just when you think of yourself being forgiven, it's not that just, just that your slate has been wiped clean, like you know, had a little you know, whiteboard and somebody took the eraser and wiped it clean. Not at all. It's also that your soul has been made new. You are not the same person that you used to be. And this is why Paul says in Colossians chapter two, 3, he says this, You are the people of God. He loved you and chose you for his own. And so then you must forgive one another because of your new identity as a person who's been forgiven and filled with the Holy Spirit. Whenever any of you has a complaint against someone else, you must forgive one another just as the Lord has forgiven you. And some might say, well, I, I, I understand what the Bible says, but I, I was hurt so badly. You, you don't know. And, and believe me, I, I, would, I would agree. I mean, some of you have been wounded so, so badly, and I can't comprehend. But part of the construct of the Christian life is living in ways that defy human expectations and human explanations. Being a Christian is not just turning over a new leaf, but it's being given a new life, the life of Jesus in you. And so we see this forgiveness in light of what Jesus is in us. For example, Luke chapter 23 on the cross, it says they came to the place called the skull. They crucified Jesus there and the two criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they are doing. 
And at that same time, they were dividing his clothes, gambling for his clothes, and the religious leaders were mocking him there on the cross. We point to our wounds and we say, just look at what they did to me. And Jesus points at the cross and says, just look at what I did for you. And so, yeah, there's a desire within us. It may not be there right now, but it is there. You may not feel it, all right, but it is there because of the life of Jesus in you if you've asked Jesus to be your Savior. And number three, Jesus points out to his disciples is the danger of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. You see, God is never going to ask anything of you or me that he has not first empowered us to do. And so as chosen children of God, we have the capacity within us to forgive the people who've wounded us and hurt us and damaged us. And if we refuse to forgive someone, to even entertain the idea of forgiving someone, despite the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we have to know, as Jesus explained here, that there are going to be consequences for that. And look at verse 28. This same person who had been shown epic forgiveness then refuses to show forgiveness in return. You see, the man that he encountered owed him something like, you know, $120, something like that. But he seized him by the throat and he threw him into prison. And how could this man forget the mercy that had been shown to him? And, you know, we can forget sometimes what this man forgot, the forgiveness, the mercy, and the grace that God has shown to us. And actions and attitudes like that, they will have consequences. Look at verse 31. The servants saw what had happened. They were distressed. They told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, and he said, you're wicked. Wow. I don't know about you. I've never been called wicked. That would hurt my feelings. I canceled all of that debt because you begged me to. And in response to that, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant or your fellow sinner as I had on you? And his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed, which really would be never. It's critical to get to the core of the message that Jesus is communicating to you and me here. If you refuse to forgive, to release the offense that's been made against you, you become the one who suffers. You're the one in prison. Why is that? It's a phenomenon called bitterness. What is bitterness? Bitterness is a chronic state of smoldering resentment caused by dwelling on being wounded or treated unfairly in the past that manifests itself as a toxic mix of negative emotions, relational problems, and physical complications. You know, this morning I was kind of touching up the message a little bit. And I was doing a little research on Google on bitterness, and this cancer center popped up, and this little treatment, uh, a little, little treatment page how, how uh, getting rid of bitterness can help you with cancer. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. How do you know when you're bitter? Jesus tells us. Number one, people who are bitter feel like they're in prison. Okay? You may not realize it, but your bitterness has you in chains. 
You know, back in Acts chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, was being harassed, you know, like relentlessly by a man. The Bible says he was a sorcerer. So he's really a bad guy. But he kept harassing Paul. And finally, Paul turned around and confronted him, and he said, you can have no part or share in God's word because your heart isn't right with God. He said, I see that your bitterness has poisoned you and evil has you in chains. Do you see that? Your bitterness has allowed evil into your heart and that has you in chains. It's the prison of unforgiveness or PU for short, okay? The other thing is that bitter people are tormented. Did you catch that? No one can be bitter without the bitterness visibly manifesting itself in their life. The first thing is this, is that bitterness will torment you mentally. Research shows that being embittered actually changes your personality. I don't know if y'all knew this or not. There's now, there's now a disorder. It's called PTED, post-traumatic embitterment disorder. Right? It's that prevalent. People who are bitter spend time replaying that event that happened to them. And they devote incredible amounts of mental energy dwelling on, if only that hadn't happened, scenarios. But also they take important time and energy resources that are needed in other areas of life, thinking about, this is what I would do if I could get even with that person, or if I ever see them again, or if I, if I had the power to change that situation. And it begins to like overwhelm them. And another thing that can happen to you if you're bitter is that it can create kind of a, a pervasive and pathological self-pity. Job chapter 10, he said, I am disgusted with my life and I will complain without holding back. I will speak in my bitterness. Wow. So you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. Bitterness is such a burden on you mentally. The other thing, though, is that bitterness is going to torment you relationally. When you're bitter, you wreck relationships that otherwise would be very rewarding to you, very beneficial to you. But somehow you always torpedo and sabotage these relationships because bitterness just does that. If you're bitter and unforgiving, it is inevitable, the Bible says, that it's going to affect all the relationships around you, even the ones that you love and care about. They're all going to be affected by your bitterness. This is why we're warned in Hebrews chapter 12, pursue the goal of peace with everyone. Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. Look at that first part, ladies and gentlemen. Pursue the goal of peace with everyone. You know, for us as a church to say, you know what? I will pursue like a, like, you, know, uh, you know, like a dingo chasing a kangaroo, man. I will pursue peace with everyone. That's what that word kind of means. If you are bitter, what happens? You develop this hypersensitivity towards rejection and you're constantly on the defensive because you don't want to be hurt because you're already hurting. And so you become more critical of others and in your defensiveness, you're, you're quick to start a fight, you're quick to argue, uh, you know, uh, quick to criticize and your negative critical spirit keeps everybody on edge. And you become a drain on others, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your church, 
you just drain the life and the, and the joy out of those relationships. And soon those relationships begin to crumble because you're just a lot of work. You're just a lot of work. And number three, bitterness will torment you physically. Why? It is a constant energy drain on your relationships, but also, ladies and gentlemen, on your body. You see, a bitter, unforgiving spirit is outside of God's will for any of our lives. It's a threat to your health because none of us can live outside the will of God for very long without facing the consequences of that. In Psalm chapter 38, David said this, I sinned and now all my bones hurt. My guilt is like a heavy burden. I am sinking beneath its weight. I am bent and bowed down. I am depressed all day long and my whole body hurts. Research tells us now that bitterness, unforgiveness is connected to high blood pressure, weakened immune systems, reduced sleep, chronic pain, and heart disease. Doctors know that now that unforgiveness actually hinders someone's body from healing. And like I said a moment ago, you know, cancer treatment centers are asking people to examine their hearts to see if there's any unforgiveness in their heart so that they could heal more quickly. And the last thing I want us to see today is the determining factor of forgiveness. You know, I have an aunt that I dearly loved growing up. She was incredibly kind when I was a kid, sweet, generous, and she's my dad's sister. And when I was younger, uh, I would love, when we went to Austin, because I got to see my aunt. When my grandfather died, he made, the, he made my dad the executor of his will. This is about 20 years ago. And to this day, I don't know exactly what happened, but my dad's sister wanted my dad to change the terms of the will. And that put my dad in a really difficult space, place because of four siblings. Some wanted him not to change the will at all. And then some said, no, we want you to change the will so it benefits some of us a little bit better. And it made dad's life so, so hard. And the net effect of this was that my dad and his sister, they quit talking altogether. And just, man, on a side note, please don't ever let money separate family. It's just not worth it. I cannot tell you the heartache that that brought my dad. It, just, it was just awful watching that. But I digress. <laughs> well, they didn't speak to each other for 10 years. And then my dad died unexpectedly. And my dad's sister didn't come to my father's funeral. <sighs> I was furious. I was furious about that. Well, then fast forward about another 10 years, my dad's oldest brother died and my aunt's husband called me and he asked me if I would officiate the funeral, which meant that I would have to see my aunt that I had not seen or spoken to in over 20 years. And I talked to mom about it. I said, mom, I said, mom, I, I, I don't think I can do it. I, 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 I don't think I can do it. And she said, she said, well, Les, what's wrong with you? She said, you need to forgive her. And I said, Mom, how could you forgive her? The way she disrespected Dad, the way she treated Dad. I remember I clenched my fist. And I said, I won't do it. And I, some of you are like, I need to find a new church. 
my pastor is a sick puppy, <laughs> you know? But I can remember, I, I mean, ugh, you know? But out of respect for my dad and also mostly my mom, I said, okay, I'll do it. We drove to San Antonio, my mom and I, about two or three years ago. And uh, as we're driving, I got 10 hours, you know, nine hours, whatever. And I'm just praying, like, Lord, you know my heart. You know how sick and depraved my heart is. <laughs> and, and Lord, I, I'm sorry. And Lord, I just, I need you to give me grace to forgive. And I have to say that uh, I got to the funeral home. We were going to have it in the, in, in the service in the funeral home chapel. Pull in the parking lot. And uh, man, my uncle gets out of his car. I'm not sure exactly what to say, but he comes over to me and he's just as friendly as he can be. And he gave me a big hug. And I, and I, I look past him and there's my aunt. And she's trying to get out of the pickup truck. And she is probably weighs 80 pounds wet. And she has her little walker out and she's trying, she's struggling to get out of the truck. And guys, I gotta just tell you, at that moment, I don't know exactly what happened, but it was like I felt nothing but love for my aunt. I ran over there and I was like, here, let me help you. And, you know, her name's Madeline. I said, man, let me help you. And I, I got her out of the I hugged her and just, you know, you know, bones. And I didn't know because I hadn't talked to her or my uncle in 20 years. She's had tremendous health and emotional issues these last 20 years. And then I, I was like, you know, here, let me help you. And I got her onto her walker and I was like holding on to her, you know, helping her get up the stairs into the funeral home and everything. And I just doted on her for the next three hours. I mean, I was just like there, you know, just watching her every move and I was getting her food and drinks and everything. I was doing everything for her. I was trying to love her every way I knew how. And then we get in the car and we're driving away and I just thought, man, what just happened? <laughs> you know, I was so mad at her for so long. And the moment I saw her, I just felt nothing but love in my heart for her. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, this is how your heavenly father is going to treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I know sometimes you hear people say, you know, forgiveness is a deliberate act of the will. That's true. I think that begins to turn the key to the prison doors. I do believe that. But I believe that ultimately it's just a change of heart where you're asking the Lord to be bigger than your heart, to be greater than your heart. Lord, you know my heart. My heart is weak. My heart is wicked. By the way, Jesus said that about the servant, you wicked servant. We have to admit that about ourselves. I'm weak and I'm wicked. Lord, I need your help. I can't do this. I don't have the power. And the door of the prison, the door of the prison of unforgiveness is different from every other prison because the key to the door is inside the prison cell. You hold the key. You have the power to release yourself. And I really do believe that forgiveness is a supernatural act. I believe it is a deliberate act of the will to begin the process, to put your hand on the key, but it's consciously asking the Lord for a change of heart. Because when you admit your weakness, you open the door for the power of God to enter into your life. And to forgive another person is an act of surrender because you're surrendering to the will of God and the sovereignty of God. You're saying, Lord, I trust you because, Lord, I know that what this person did, that somehow in your power and your plan, you are able to take 
what has happened and cause it to work together for good. You can make beauty from ashes. It's also by faith believing that God will bring justice. God will bring justice. Romans chapter 12. Do not pay anyone back evil for evil. Focus on those things that everyone considers noble. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, maintain peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, I will re- vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, my aunt now, uh, the, she likes to send greeting cards. And so it's so neat. When I was a kid, she'd always send me cards, you know, birthdays and Christmases packed with money. I loved getting, you know, Aunt Madeline's cards, you know. Here I am, 56, you know, 57 years old now, and I get cards from my Aunt Madeline again. It's amazing. They don't have money. (laughs) Wish they did, you know. But they're such sweet cards. They're such sweet cards. They're such a treasure. They're such a treasure. And I wrote her a letter not too long ago telling her how much I loved her. It's just amazing. Just amazing. You see, the cross of Jesus, it's a portal through which the power of God and the forgiveness of God, the grace of God can flow into our lives. On the cross, Jesus forgives you and me. He pays our enormous debt. And he gives the same power to you and me to forgive those who have damaged us. But he alone is the one who is stronger than our weak and wicked hearts and can give us the power and the grace to forgive others from the heart. And remember, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free. And when you let the prisoner go free, you'll find that that prisoner was you. All right, let's bow our heads together this morning for a moment. And if we could just kind of focus in for a moment, I want to ask you to think about, is there someone in your life that needs your forgiveness? Are there the symptoms of bitterness in your life today? If you were going to be really honest and let the great physician diagnose your heart and your spirit, would you, would you be forced to say, Lord Jesus, there is, there's bitterness in my heart? And if so, I just want to ask you today, you'll be in that process of turning the key to the prison cell and just begin that process of saying, Lord, you know my heart. Lord, you know how, how weak and how wicked my heart truly is. And Lord, I need you to be stronger than my heart. I really believe, ladies and gentlemen, that's where it begins. I truly do. For us to be honest to God about the true condition of our heart. And that's where forgiveness can begin. And so I want to ask you to just go go before the Lord this morning. I'll be quiet for a couple of minutes. Let's just talk to the Lord today about someone in our life that might need forgiveness. Hmm. Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you for the debt that you paid for me. And Lord Jesus, all those times that I've harbored 
resentment, anger, self-pity, a sense of injustice, unfairness. I ask you to forgive me, Father. All those times that I was so wrong. And I just come before you, Father, that if there's anybody else here today who's struggled the way that I have, I just pray, Father, that you'd set them free today. Lord, just give them grace to forgive. Forgive whoever has wounded them, left them, hurt them, stolen from them, criticized them, criticized their children, whatever it might be. I just pray, Father, for the grace to forgive today. And Father, we love you. We thank you for your forgiving grace. Manifest that in our hearts here at Faith Covenant Church. Just pray in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen.